I am going to steal Kennedy's music stand here for a little bit. Kennedy, so, <laughs> no, I can't do it, okay. So glad to have you with us um, today, have you with us finally. We just, uh, you did such a fantastic job. Guys, if you enjoyed uh, Kennedy's leading this morning, just go ahead and type amen there in the comments section. Uh, we're just, we're glad to have her as, as part of the team, uh, and her heart and her love for the Lord and just her wanting to glorify God uh, with her with her leading, so we're thankful for that. Um, before I get into my message, I do want to kind of give you an idea. You may have seen on social media, uh, made a little bit of announcement of what we're planning on doing over these next few months. We're going to be send, spending the summer in the Psalms. Uh, we're going to be taking a look now, obviously, I mean, we're going to be in there for three months is the plan, uh, but obviously you're not going to cover 150 chapters in three months. Uh, so we're going to hit some of the major themes. Uh, we're going to go through that book, and Psalms is one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. Uh, it just it goes through such a, a range of human emotion, and I think that if there's anything that can be said safely in this time, that each and every one of us, for whatever reason, uh, has experienced this range of human emotion from all the way to the highest highs to the lowest of lows. Uh, so last week, we talked about cultivating. We looked in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we talked about cultivating our hearts and our lives and what not only Peter charged the elders to do in serving the church and serving the body, but also we looked in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, to where we were instructed to sow righteousness, to reap the mercy, the love, that hesed word in the Hebrew, which means so many different uh, English words. Uh, but we want to just kind of build off of that this morning. We talked about, you know, we even went into the New Testament, looked at the fruit of the Spirit and how it's amazing that in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's there's parallel of sowing righteous seed. And then Paul said in the New Testament, you know, sow into the Spirit, which the fruit of the Spirit is what we covered some last week. This week, I kind of want to build off of that. And I want to talk about Jesus being our hope in the harvest. And we're going to be reading 1 Peter Chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. And that says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all of your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Will you pray with me again this morning? Father, again this week we are grateful to be able to spend time in your word. We're grateful to be able to look into this passage and, and really begin to cultivate our hearts and see what, uh, what you want us producing as a harvest in our life. God, I am uh, thankful for everyone at home, everyone listening, everyone watching that, God, that there would just be a, a fulfillment, a peace, a strengthening inside of them as they hear your word this morning. 
God, I pray that you um, speak through me, allow me to speak your words, Holy Spirit. I pray that you inspire me and allow me to speak your words and your words only. Remove my opinions and my feelings and my emotions and allow me to rightly divide your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now as we look at this passage this morning, we are coming off of a passage from last week where it was talking, it was charging the leaders of the church, the pastors, the elders, the overseers, in their, the way that they lead the church, the way that they shepherd the flock, the way that they do it from a motivation standpoint in their heart, to do it for pure motives, to lead as a servant, not out of a motivation so that they can gain something or they can receive something, but to do so, to lead um, from a motive that's pure, that's godly. Um, that's righteously led. And now in this passage, we start with verse 5, and the dynamic here in this first verse kind of matches that of the first four verses because it's talking about how we are to relate to each other, how we are to relate and, and kind of live with and deal with one another when it says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. And then he kind of throws back to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34 here. That's, that's where he's referencing out of, where he lays this biblical truth out. It says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So what we see in this dynamic of our relationships with, with our, you know, our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and the people that we live with is that we see two commands here. The first is that we are to be submissive which means to willingly put ourselves underneath them, to, to be able to serve them and to follow them willingly. And then we see humility. Now, I believe that these two are, are joined together. I believe that they're connected because I don't believe that we can willfully come underneath someone or submit to them willingly without being humble. And we see this, that Peter kind of closes out this dynamic of, uh, of him talking about us relating to one another with the proverb of where he talks about God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then once he finishes that, we go into verses 6 through 10, where the dynamic change, it changes here. It's no longer talking about us relating to one another, but it's talking about our responsibilities and God's responses. Now, we're talking about obedience here is at the heart of this, and I want to make something really clear up front that I'm not saying that God is bound by our actions or lack thereof. It, that's not one of those cases to where God is handcuffed to us to where we have him as like a puppet on a string by what we do or what we do not do. But what we see from cover to cover in his word is that this word obedience is a really, really big deal and that God chooses to reward those who are obedient. When we respond to his calling in obedience and what he's asking us to do in our lives, then we see from cover to cover in his word a response of God by blessing that obedience. Now, one of the best examples, there's so many of them, and I had difficulties kind of narrowing it down to one, but in Luke chapter 5, the gospel of Luke chapter 5, we see where Jesus is kind of, he gets on a boat to kind of get away from the crowds that have been following him all day, and he gets onto a fishing vessel, and when he gets out there, the, the fishermen have had a terrible day fishing, so basically I was on the boat, and nobody caught a thing, all right, because that seems to 
you know, Derek, I, you know, you may not ever want to take me fishing, man, because nobody on the boat catches anything if I'm on the boat. So that's, I must have been on this boat. But Jesus gets on there and he tells them, you know, go ahead, cast your net again. And they tell him what a horrible day they've had. And they explain to him, man, we've not, we've not caught a thing all day. We've been fishing here all day and we just can't do it. We've not caught anything. And Jesus tells them, do it. Go ahead one more time. Lay that aside. Put your net down. And we see that they are obedient to Jesus' command. And they bring up a haul uh, that basically they can't even get into the boat that it's so heavy. So there's this concept that we need to embrace and need to understand that our obedience doesn't have God handcuffed into action. This is God's good pleasure to respond to our obedience. And with that passage, with that in mind, I kind of want to detail this passage into a couple different sections, what our responsibility is and what God's response is to that. So let's first look at what this instructs us to be as, as our responsibility. Or if, you wanna, if we want to view this in light of cultivating our hearts and cultivating our lives in righteousness, then these are areas in our lives that we need to cultivate. First, we already talked about the submission in verse 5. In verse 6, we see our responsibility is to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. This is one of the biggest challenges for us as believers because when you get down to the root of everything, pride is usually found right there. That's what led to, to Lucifer's fall, ultimately became Satan. It was pride. It was him wanting to be in control. Adam and Eve's fall in the garden was pride because they wanted to be like God and they fell for that temptation. In any shortcoming area of my life, flaws, any fallibilities that I have, which are many, I can trace them back to it is an issue of my pride. So humility is a big, big deal because all of the problems that we have in our lives, in our nation, in our world, I believe that we can trace them back to the root cause of being prideful. So we see verse 6 talking about our, uh, our responsibility is to be humble. Verse 7 instructs us to cast all of our cares on him, which is another thing that's incredibly difficult to do. All these worries, all these cares, all this heaviness, all these burdens that we carry along with us, it's difficult to lay them aside and say, God, I'm giving them to you because, again, we're a little bit prideful and we think that we can make these things work and, and we can figure it out. We can, we can fix this. But we're responsible of casting all of our cares on him. In verse 8, we see that we're responsible for being sober and being vigilant. Now, if you remember not too long ago, at the beginning of chapter 4, just a couple weeks ago, or I'm sorry, at, at verse 7 of chapter 4, we see, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be sober and watchful in your prayer. So be sober, be vigilant, not only in your prayers, but here in this chapter, it's telling us that we are responsible for being sober and vigilant also. Why? That we wouldn't fall into temptation, that we wouldn't fall into this trap of pride that the enemy still comes at us with day in and day out. He says, be sober. Don't be clouded in your judgment. Be vigilant, be on watch, be on guard at all times. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And then in verse 9, our responsibilities that are built onto that is resist him, be steadfast in the faith, and knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brothers in the world. We need to resist, we need to be steadfast, 
And we need to know that this is not uncommon. As he, as Peter said in chapter 4, verse 12, that these fiery trials that we are enduring are not uncommon to us. So with that being said, I kind of want to look back like we did to Hosea last week. I want to look back into the Old Testament and get a little bit of a picture as to what this may look like to where we're planted, what type of situation that God has set us up in. So if you will, turn to the book of Isaiah. We're going to be going to chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 4. And this is God's song. And he says at the beginning, he says, now let me sing. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to sing. Because if I started singing, that would be the moment that we would actually have a voluntary internet connection uh, issue that would go blank and it would probably save you a lot of trouble and heartache and pain but anyhow Isaiah chapter 5 verse 1 now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard so this is Isaiah speaking on behalf of God to the nation of Israel and I want to say up front before I get any further this is a specific message to the nation of Israel I'm not indicating that this is a direct message to you and I right now, but just as with most every other Old Testament story or lesson or time that God speaks, we can find application for our lives in these passages. Okay. So he goes on and says, My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up, he cleared out its stones, and he planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst, and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes. But it brought forth wild grapes. And in the Hebrew, this word for wild actually would maybe be a little bit more accurately translated stinky. So God's saying, I wanted good grapes. You gave me stinky grapes. Verse 3. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard what more could have been done to my vineyard that i have not done in it why then when i expected it to bring forth good grapes did it bring forth wild grapes i want to just look at what god has done here you know we talked about our responsibility in first peter chapter 5 now I want to look in Isaiah about how God had set the nation of Israel up. And if we're all very honest this morning, I think the truth of the matter is, is we can look and we can see that God has done the same thing for us. Let's look at how God prepares this vineyard or this place where we're planted. First, he plants it on a very fruitful hill. God has you planted in the place where you need to be right now. It's not by accident that you're there. It's not by happenstance that you're there. You may not know why that you're there, but I promise you, at the end, God has you in, a, in this place, in this season, for a specific reason, and that is to be fruitful, to make a difference, to speak up for the gospel of Jesus Christ, to show his love, grace, mercy, justice, and compassion with the voice of the true gospel. Secondly, he says that he dug it up. In other translations, it said that he fenced it in. Either way, he's talking about an, a, a method of protection here. So God's not only planted you in the right place where you're at, he's also provided the protection that you need so that your purpose can be achieved in that place where he's planted you. Now, protection to you and I may look completely different than it does to God because God will 
put us in places, put us in situations to see that he is glorified and his will is done. And what we think may be subjecting us is actually God's protecting us. You can tweet that if you want to. I just made that up. So anybody, you can go ahead and hashtag if you want to. That's fine. But he also says that he cleared out its stones. Now, I, this takes me back to my childhood because typically we would raise a decent-sized garden, and my dad would go out there and he would play on the tractor, and you know he would. Uh, I, I can understand it now because I look for reasons to get out and be on my tractor. I, I enjoy that, and my dad I always thought he spent an unhealthy amount of time outside and on the tractor. I, I understand that now, Mark. I get it completely, but. He would always send me out. He would plow it up. He would disc it up. He would get it all good and cultivated and ready to plant. And he was like, son, go out there and take a run in the garden for me. And every year I fell for it. Every time I fell for it, I would. And inevitably, I would stump my toe on some of these massive rocks. And he would, I would be down there, you know, crying, basically, holding my foot. And he would be laughing. And he would just kind of walk up and throw the stone out. The reason that you want the stones out of the garden is because they become a hindrance when you're trying to grow something. If something's trying to grow and there's a rock in its way, then it has to move around and it's not going to be as strong as what it would be if it just grew straight up. So he's saying that I've taken all of these hindrances, all of these massive boulders, all of these stones, and I've removed them. You are not only on a fruitful hill, I've provided you protection, but I've cleared it out so there's nothing that's going to hinder your growth that's external. And he says, I planted it with the choicest vine. Guys, what God has given us is the very best. If you're a believer this morning and you have called on the name of Jesus Christ, you've repented, you've asked for forgiveness for your sins, and you've been baptized, then you are one who has his Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. He has planted the choicest vine in your life. And that's what he wants to see be produced. Then it says that he built a tower in its midst. This is a watchtower. This is for the vine dresser, the one who is responsible for the growth. To be able to get an elevated view of enemies that may be coming. So you've got an element of protection that comes with this digging up or this fence that he's built, but you also have this element of someone in an elevated position that's watching out for you, for animals, for intruders, for enemies that's coming against you. And then he says that he put a wine press in it. Now, a wine press is something that, that fascinates me, and I'm not going to try to get too deep into it this morning, but a wine press, what it's designed for is to take these big, fat, plump, juicy grapes that God is, has planted, and has seen that everything is right to grow, and it takes it and it smashes it. Why? Because the most valuable part of the grape is what's inside of it. And there has to be some discomfort. There has to be some times of turmoil. There has to be some times of suffering and persecution. Because in our natural state, there has never been a time that the best things that I've done in my life for God has been in the greatest of times in my life. When everything was good, when everything was comfortable, when everything was easy. It's been in the difficult times of my life where the best has been done and produced from my life for the kingdom of God. Why? Because there was a pressing that was going on and there was something on the inside of me that needed to get out. 
we've got to be careful here because if what's inside of us doesn't come out and we're out in the sun too long, what happens to a grape? Turns into a raisin, right? It dries up, it shrivels up, and it just collapses within itself. We've got to be really careful if we're not allowing God to do what he wants to do in our lives. So what did he get in return? What did he get in return for all of this? For all of this work, for everything that he had provided? What said it brought forth wild, stinky grapes. We see Jesus making reference to this. Jesus in his parables loved the book of Isaiah. And if you ever do a study of Jesus' parables, make sure that you look back as to where he's drawing from. Jesus really loved to take examples from Isaiah and talk about them. But we see in Matthew 21 and John 15, Jesus using these examples of vineyards. So let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, and let's, let's finish up there. Let's look at God's responses. We've looked at our responsibilities. Now let's look at God's responses to our obedience here. First, we see in verse 5, he gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud. But those who are obedient, he gives grace to the humble. And guys, if we ever have stood in a time where we need God's grace more than ever, it is today, right now. We need to make sure that we're humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And that leads to his next response in verse 6, that he may exalt you in due time. This is one of the areas we struggle with too, because he's talking about being exalted, not in our time, but in his time. And I don't know about you watching or any of you who are here with the praise team and the tech team, but my timeline has very seldomly, if ever, matched up to God's timeline. But we need to understand that he's saying here that he will exalt you in his time. Then he talks about in verse 10, that may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered for a while, he will perfect, he will establish, he will strengthen, he will settle you. Look at that. He will perfect you, he's going to establish you, he'll strengthen you, and he'll settle you. Now doesn't this, think about this for just a minute, doesn't these four things sound like things that we set out to do on our own? Aren't those kind of the things that we hope to establish in our lives, that we, we get to this perfect place, that we become established, we become secure, that we become strong and we strengthen ourselves, and then we become settled? Doesn't that sound like what we hope to achieve and what we want to do? The sad reality is in my life that far too often I've tried to do these things and failed because I didn't allow God to do them. And God does them as a response to what? My submission my humility, my casting my cares on him, my resisting the devil, my being sober, my being vigilant, my being steadfast in my faith. You see, those are the things, and if I can use the word, I think we struggle doing those, so if, if I can use the word, because they don't sound as sexy as the perfection, the, the uh, you know, all of these, the establishing, the strengthening, the settling, those are things that give us a sense of accomplishment. Whenever we start talking about submission, and humility, and surrender, and dependence, and being resolute in and on Him, those things require a little bit more effort. And they're not quite as sexy as these other things in our minds. 
So in verse 11, here's where we're going to conclude, and then I'm, I'm going to make a brief statement. Verse 11 says, To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's what this is all about, guys. Peter's been writing to a church that's suffering here. He's been writing to a church that's hurting, that's being persecuted, that's in trial and turmoil. And he says that it's for God's glory. It's for his dominion forever and ever. Amen. So I want you to be thinking about that this morning. What are the things that we're doing? Are we being responsible for being humble? being submissive, for being dependent, or are we trying to achieve these other things? Ask yourself, where, where God, and, and to my knowledge, in Isaiah 5, that's the only time that I see an invitation for us to judge God. There may be more, but that's the only time I'm aware of it, where he says, go ahead, judge. Judge what I've done for you. Think about where you're at. You may not be in a great situation, but look at it. What has God done for you? Has he planted you on a fruitful hill? Has he dug it up? Has he protected it for you? Has he cleared it out? Has he planted it? Has he given you the choices vine? Has he put a watchtower and a wine press in it? Everything you need to bring glory to him, has he not done it in your life? Now this morning, I want to make a little bit of a pastoral call. We are all well aware of what's been going on this week. That's, that didn't start Monday, but the attention was highlighted to it Monday with the death of George Floyd, and we want to talk a little bit about that from a church standpoint. And, um, and I issued a little bit of a statement on social media about this, but I want to also read that and also make a few other statements and then issue a couple calls for us as believers and our actions and our steps from this point forward. Augustine made the statement, God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. We are commanded to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's Luke 10, 27. During this time, as we raise our voices as believers, as we should, to speak for those who are suffering and a crying out of a gospel love of Jesus, let us make sure that we are speaking the truth in love, not just loving to speak our truth that causes greater hurt, greater division, and greater hatred. To look upon someone who is different than us in any way other than the way that God sees them is wrong. If we view others in a way that does not honor God, simply put, it is sin, and it needs to be repented of. Following Jesus' statement in Luke 10, 27, someone asks a question and tries to get him to narrow down the field of candidates that he is to consider his neighbor. Jesus responds with the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is one of the most well-known parables of Jesus's. You see, this man was trying to personally define who is included and who is excluded in who he was supposed to love as a neighbor as himself. And we continue to be guilty of doing the same thing today. Jesus shows us plainly multiple times in his life and in our scripture 
that our neighbors who we are to love as ourselves includes every person. God is not a race. God is not an ethnicity. God is not a demographic. God is not a social class. God is not an occupation. God is not a country. God is not a political party. God is not a citizen of a country. However, God is love. And we cannot be found guilty of removing his love as we raise our voices in his name. The Bible tells us that biblical love calls out sin with the hopes of restoring the one who is sinning to the sinless Savior. However, the Bible also tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, that true biblical love also protects, it also trusts, it hopes, and it perseveres. If in your speaking of love, and calling out sin for the restoration to Jesus, if it does not also include protection, trust, hope, and perseverance, then it is simply not the biblical love of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because love does all of these things. So today I call on you first and foremost to pray for our nation, pray for our communities, pray for our world, pray for those who have suffered injustice. But also, I ask that you allow your voices to be heard and your faces to be seen and do so with biblical love that represents the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray with me if you would. Father, I thank you again for this day. And I thank you for your mercy, your love, and your grace to us. Father, I pray for our nation. I pray for those who are suffering injustice. I pray for those who are in law enforcement. I pray for those who are in the, the political world. I pray for those in the, in the business world. And God, let us not forget to continue to remember to pray for those who are being affected by the coronavirus, the COVID-19 pandemic. God, let us as a church let us as a group of believers be a voice of biblical love. Love that Jesus Christ came, bled, died, suffered so that we could extend to our fellow man. Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, as our praise team sings this last worship song as we worship together today. I want to invite you, if you're watching, listening, and you don't know Jesus Christ, make that decision now. You can go to our website, fccgrayson.com, and there's a prayer request tab there. Please fill that in. Let us know if you want to make a decision for Christ today. If you've got things going on in your life and you would like for the church to partner in prayer with you, we would love to do that. You can do that on that same prayer request page.